So we have been working through uh, the book of 2 Corinthians, and we've come to this passage in 2 Corinthians 5 last week. Uh, Anthony led us through the first part of 2 Corinthians 5, and we're going to look at the second half of that particular chapter and actually a couple of verses into the next chapter there. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, how God has worked in our lives and worked through the cross uh, to bring us salvation. And probably this passage that we're looking at this morning is the most famous passage in 2 Corinthians together. In fact, if you've been here at New Life over a period of time, you've probably heard a number of these verses in different contexts throughout your time here. And so there's nothing uh, new to you here in terms of hearing the verses, but I hope that God will encourage us with the words that he shares with us. And we're just going to work through the passage this morning uh, a few verses at a time, And so let me start us off by just reading verses 11 through 13 here in chapter 5. And you can watch on the screen, or as Meredith mentioned, if you have the PDF at home, you can follow along there, or you could use your Bible. That might even be better and more direct. Uh, But join join with us as we read these first couple of verses from chapter 5. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we, are, what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. So uh, on Thursday afternoon, I was sitting down to my daily peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And uh, I noticed a package of chocolate chip cookies. Don't know how they got there. But there was a package of chocolate chip cookies sitting next to me. And boldly put on the label of that package was these words, made with real chocolate chips. And I thought to myself, can chocolate chip cookies be made without real chocolate chips? And then I looked at the jar of jelly that was next to that, and the jar said, made with real conquered grapes. And I was thankful that they didn't make them out of real plastic grapes. And then I I looked at the peanut butter jar, and I thought to myself, uh, maybe it's going to say something about made from real styrofoam peanuts. Uh, But actually, it didn't say anything about the peanuts at all. Uh, But what is this obsession that we have with real What is it? Why do they even write these on the packages? Well, it's because we want things to be authentic. We want things to be genuine. We live in an age of crafted appearance. And it isn't something that started with Facebook or with Twitter or with Instagram. And I'm not an expert on those things, but I know some of you are. Uh, if, If we're honest with ourselves, we just like to look good. We want to look like we have it together, like we're intelligent, that we're carrying ourselves confidently, and if the Lord blesses us, we want to look good on the outside. And sometimes it's even competitive. We want to be better than someone else or better than something else. If we're honest, we want to be perceived as the real deal. And of course, that's paradoxical because we want to be perceived as the real deal Uh, And it's really not about outward appearance. It's what's underneath it all. In Corinth, 
There are teachers that we've referred to a couple of times in the last few weeks as we've gone through this passage who are interested in highlighting their credentials. They've gone to the Ivy League school and gotten their degree. They poly- they're polished in their speaking. Uh, they're good-looking. They have a great reputation from others, and they pass those commendations along to the people there in Corinth. And it's caused Paul problems. And quite frankly, he's not that impressive on paper. He doesn't have the degrees. And even though the fact that he planted the church, he's gone away from the church and he's had to come back again. And people have complained about that and pointed out that maybe he doesn't love them that well. So if you want a respected and impressive preacher, you would pick one of these other men that are claiming all of these credentials for themselves. But if you want to really know the truth from the heart, the truth of the gospel from the heart, Paul says, I'm your man. Because we walk by faith, not by sight, he says in verse 7. And so at the end of last week's passage, Paul reminds us in chapter 5, verse 10, that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. And Paul is ready to do that. His conscience is clear. He's not speaking as one that's trying to impress other people. He's not trying to trick them. He's not trying to pull the wool over their eyes. And he's not trying to impress them in a way that they will benefit him. Instead, what he's doing and what he's saying is only for the benefit of the Christians that are in the church. He speaks the truth about the gospel from the heart with sincerity with genuineness, with authenticity. There are some who question Paul's emotional stability. Uh, In verse 13, it talks about those who claim that he is beside himself. And that may be referring to Paul's claims to have actually heard the voice of Christ speak to him, or some kind of revelatory experience he had with God directly, or maybe just because of the the message that he preaches. Later on in Paul's life, as he's being tried uh, for some of the things that he's done in the name of Christ, a governor, Festus, says this to him in Acts 26. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. And so what Paul says here is, maybe you consider what I say today is kind of crazy, but if I'm I'm crazy, if I'm out of my mind, that I'm doing it for God's sake. But if I'm speaking things that you can understand and things that you can apply, then I'm doing it for your sake. Because it's all about your growth and your knowing the Lord in your own lives. Later on in our passage, in verse 16, Paul will say, there was a time when we once regarded Jesus according to the flesh, according to appearances. And Paul's history shows that. When he first came to Jesus, well, before he came to Jesus, he was persecuting believers. He believed that Jesus was a charlatan, that he was spreading strange teachings, dangerous teachings, and so he was doing everything to attack the Church of Christ. And yet when he came to know Jesus on that Damascus Road experience where Jesus confronted him directly, he then began to see not 
according to the flesh, but he began to see the truth that was behind the words. And now he saw him completely differently. You know, we see the same kind of miracle happen today, really, among many people who have rejected Christ in their lives, who were professed atheists and then became believers. Just a couple of them that I want to mention this morning. Uh, James Morrison, for instance, who was a journalist that set out to write the definitive work to prove that Jesus was no more than a Jewish man who died many years ago. And he ended up writing a book called Who Moved the Stone in Defense of the Historical Accounts of Jesus. Or a legal editor, Lee Strobel, who didn't believe Jesus and decided he was going to investigate all the facts of the case and later wrote the book The Case for Christ. Or a scientist, Alistair McGrath, who was uh, a man who had succeeded well in the areas of chemistry and physics, and yet he decided to look into Jesus, and now he's a well-known theologian in the world. There was a friend of mine uh, a number of years ago that was a believer, and he mentioned how one of the things that bothered him is that he could hear how other people might think he was crazy as he explained that Jesus was also God and that he died on the cross and that he was dead and that he actually rose again and that if you believe in him, you can have eternal life. It sounded like a fairy tale, he thought, to many other people. And so he struggled with that. He was intimidated by that. We see Jesus with the eyes of faith. And maybe that's your struggle this morning. Maybe the arguments that other people give you sound so rational, so real, so convincing. And some who don't believe assume that those who do believe, there must be something wrong with them. They're either crazy or they're not smart. And maybe that's intimidating to you. Well, there are reasonable answers to the objections that are given for not believing. And I hope that you would take the time to look those up. But many unbelieving arguments are really arguments of appearances. They only argue from what people can see. And so they ignore the far larger reality of things that cannot be seen. We walk by faith, not by sight, as Paul puts it, not with the eyes of the unbelieving world, but with the eyes of faith that the Spirit has given us. We become convinced that Christ loves us personally. He loves us individually. He loves us corporately as the church. Which is why Paul writes in verses 14 and 15 here, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. And what Paul means when he writes this is that Christ's love for him is what controls him. It's not his love for Christ, but Christ's love for him that controls him. Last week, Anthony talked about a young man who said, yeah, I don't really want to become a believer of Jesus because if I do that, I'm just going to have to do whatever he tells me to do. And Anthony reminded him that he has a girlfriend, and he loves his girlfriend, and uh, he gives his girlfriend flowers, he, uh, he does chores for his girlfriend, he does all kinds of things. He's at his girlfriend's beck and call because he loves her that much. 
And so we also respond to God in the same way. Because he loved us, we respond to his beck and call willingly and freely and with joy because of all that he's done for us. But it's interesting that Christ has done the same thing for us. It says in Hebrews 12 that... That Jesus did it for the joy that was set before him. He won our redemption. He went to the cross for the joy that was set before him and endured the cross, despising its shame. Sometimes you hear the phrase, love is a verb. Uh, Jesus' love is not sentimentality. It accomplishes something real. It's a historical death that takes place in a particular time period for historical regeneration to happen in our lives. And so Paul says, Christ has died for all. And when he talks about for this, he's saying he, not, he died not just for one individual ethnic or racial group, not for a particular social class, whether rich or poor, not for just the uneducated, but for the educated Christ's death is powerful to save anyone, anywhere, at any time. Those who believe in Jesus believe in him so that they might die with him and live for Christ. And so Paul says in verse 15 that those who believe might live for Christ, not for ourselves, but for him who died for us. So how does Jesus' death impact us? Well, we died with Christ, and Christ died for us. When Jesus died for us, Paul says that we, ha- we have also died with him. We died in Christ. It's as if, as we've used this illustration before here, it's as if we're in the plane of Christ. We're inside uh, Christ. He is the plane, and anything that happens to him is what happens to us. And so Jesus died. When Jesus died, we have also died with him. We've died to the penalty of sin. So we've died to death because that penalty is no longer with us. We've died to our sin so that it no longer controls us anymore. And Paul talks about this extensively in in Romans chapter 6. And in Christ, we've risen with him says Paul, so that we might live for him. In Galatians 2.20, Paul puts it this way. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And this has even more implications for us. Listen to these words that Paul writes in verses 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making God making his appeal through us. 
We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so our translations say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's what the ESV says. There are some translations that say, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. And literally, what it says in the Greek, if anyone is in Christ, behold, a new creation. And really, all of these ideas are part of what Paul is talking about here. We become a new creation ourselves as we're in Christ. We're born again. We're born by the Spirit. We're regenerated. We're giving the life that only God can give, again, that repels all the implications of death in our lives. But we become part of a whole new creation that culminates in the new heavens and the new earth when Jesus returns again and is already beginning to take place as believers are gathered into communities throughout the world to serve Christ wherever they are. Jesus died for us. He took our place. He exchanged places with us, as it says in verse 21. I remember when I was in ninth grade uh, how revolutionary this was for me. I always knew before that, or I had heard from our church, that Jesus died for our sins. And I believe that that was true. But I didn't really understand what that was all about. And what I found out is that Jesus actually took our sins, the sins that were on us, and they were laid on him so that he died the penalty of death that I deserved. Verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Bible proclaims throughout the New Testament, and even in the Old Testament, by different authors in different books, that Jesus was sinless that he did everything that was required by the law of God, and that he loved his neighbor and loved God perfectly. So he also is worthy to take our sins upon himself and give us his righteousness. So in Isaiah, for instance, God takes our sin upon himself. In Isaiah 53, these words are written, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But Jesus goes beyond taking our sins upon himself and paying the penalty. Jesus gives us his righteousness. So if you've taken living for the king here, or if you're going to take it, you may hear this illustration. It's like there are two books before us. And one book is my book. It records all the things that I have done, all the things that I've thought, all the things that I ever intended to do. And then there's another book, and it's, all the things that Jesus has done, all the things that he's thought, all the things that he's ever intended to do. And what God does is he exchanges the covers. He puts my cover on Jesus' book 
so that when God looks at my book, he sees the righteousness of Christ and we're free from judgment. And he puts my cover, or he puts Jesus' cover on my cover, and in Jesus he sees all my sin and he judges Jesus to be guilty and Jesus takes the penalty sin upon himself. And so Christ exchanges those things with us. He takes the penalty of our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And still, God goes even a step further than that. RVG Tasker, who's a New Testament theologian, and I have no idea what the RVG stands for, but he's a New Testament scholar, and one of the things that he says, it's one thing for a judge to say the penalty has been fulfilled in full, it's been paid in full, and that you're now righteous before this bench. It's another thing for the judge to come down from the bench and to invite that person back home with him, to eat with him, and to be in fellowship and community with him forever. And that's what God does for us through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so Paul wrote in verse 18, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This passage reminds me so uh, strongly of what Paul says in another passage in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 19 through 22, and he writes these words. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind by doing evil deeds, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, have been reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Paul says, through him, through Christ, we are reconciled. He has reconciled all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It's not simply about personal salvation, though it includes that. It's not simply about world peace, though it includes that. It's not simply about ending racism or any other kind of elitism or hatred towards others, though it includes that. It's not simply about doing away with disease and with death in any natural or human-caused disaster in the world, though it includes that. This is about putting all things in all of the universe right. There is nothing outside the scope of the cross of Jesus Christ. Nothing. So where would we go elsewise? Where else could we turn? And what can we do as this message of reconciliation goes out? Paul says there's a call to be ambassadors for Christ to be reconcilers. And one of the things that he says to us first is, be reconciled with Christ. See with the eyes of faith. It's so easy to see with the eyes of the world, but see with the eyes of Jesus. 
And that was said to Christians because we Christians, quite frankly, don't always see with the eyes of faith. Secondly, Christ is reconciling others through us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we don't regard others according to the flesh. Certainly we don't regard Jesus that way, but we don't regard other people that way either. What we regard them as people who can benefit from knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all the careers that people have, all their bank accounts, all their comfort, all their status will not do anything for them in the long run. Look at Jesus. Look and see what he has done for your benefit for life in this age and also in the one to come. The commentator, uh, David Garland, writes these words, In societies given to self-promotion, self-fulfillment, and self-indulgence, and doesn't that describe who we are here in the 21st century? Christians will stand out as distinctively different. They live only for Christ and give up their own rights for the good of others and do not insist on having their own way. So Paul says to us, you know, there's an urgency about all of this work. We need to be busy about it. And so he writes in verses uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 6, working together with him, working together with God, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. And so now we are to take on the ministry of reconciliation for the sake of others. Stop being concerned about appearances. This is about life and death for all of us. Today is the day of salvation for you and for everyone else. Today is the day to decide to pursue Christ and whatever he has for you in your life. And one of the struggles that I have is that frequently I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for the things that I think will give me fulfillment in this life. I've decided that there are things here that I want to pursue. And often these get in the way of Christ calling me to be an ambassador for him. But if I've died with Christ, if I've actually died with Christ, and I've died to the things of this age, then I've died to the things of this age. Paul says in Galatians 6, 14, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And if we think it about it this way, a dead man can be bold because there's nothing that hasn't already happened to him or her. The death has already been accomplished. The only thing ahead is eternity. And so God calls us to receive the message of reconciliation and to pass that on to others so that we might see the plan of God for the reconciliation of all things come to fruition. Let's pause for a moment of prayer together. Father, we want to be used by you, and we know that frequently we are not doing that for you, that we, our eyes are on this world. So we pray, Father, that you would change our hearts and our lives, 
we might give ourselves to completely as people who have been crucified to the world, who have died with Christ, so we might live the life that you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.